to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Uh, I'm going to start with a little bit of news this week, and then we've got an excellent interview with uh, a man named Chris Romeo, uh, who's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Security Journey. And uh, he and I will have an, uh, an excellent and informative discussion on a particular type of hacker attack that we call phishing. That's P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, not F-I-S-H-I-N-G. Uh, you may have heard of it, may not, but after this episode, you'll know all about it. So at the top of the hour, I want to talk about some news from the week, and uh, I will try to pick one or two stories, maybe a few that, uh, that I think you need to know about or that have something to teach us about security and privacy. And we've got uh, a real doozy this week, and, and you probably saw this because it was a sensationalistic headline uh, about how hackers were able to steal communications or uh, steal information off of somebody's computer by flying a drone outside their window and looking at the blinking light on their computer. Did you hear this story? Now, this, unfortunately, is a classic classic story of computer hacking that just gets it all wrong. Now, I'm sure that there are some articles out there that, that did get it right. Most of the ones I've seen have not. So let, if you haven't seen this, let me, let me explain to you what the situation was. So the, the picture they're painting, and of course, with the, the, the attention-grabbing headlines, the, what we call clickbait, uh, they're trying to get you to click on it so that you'll go to their website. And of course, once you go to their website, you get subjected to their advertising, and then they make money. So or you tune into the nightly news or whatever the case may be and you watch those advertisers. That's that's the world we live in today. We are we are getting all these quote unquote free services in return for being bombarded with ads and of course a lot of the ones on the web are actually tracking you and that's a subject for another for another episode. But it's a classic case of you're really not helping us. So when these articles come out, because they, I, you know, if you believe them, then you're you're going to such a hair on fire and think that, oh, my God, there's nothing I can do to protect my data. I've got these drones looking through my window and they're going to steal all my you know, credit card info and social security number. OK, so. The, paint, the, the picture they're painting is, you know, you've, if, you, if you've got a classic uh, usually a PC tower computer, uh, Windows computer. Uh, there's a little hard drive light amongst others, but there's usually at least one light on that computer that's that's always flashing. Whenever your computer's on, there's probably the power light that's solid. Then there's this little hard drive light that's supposed to flash, you know, sort of whenever your computer is doing something interesting to kind of let you, give you some feedback that your computer is doing something for you. Uh, it seems like that light's always on, right? It's flashing. I don't know what it's actually doing or what information it's actually giving you, but what this article, what these guys, these researchers have done is they've figured out a way to use that blinking light to transmit information from your computer to somebody who can watch that blinking light. So, of course, the the worst case scenario you're thinking is, oh my God, somebody with a telescope or a drone or something who could look in my window and happen to see that little flashing light on my computer can somehow get all my computer information. And that's, of course, kind of what they want you to think because they want you to get all worried about it and click on this link. So here's what's really going on. These guys came up with a proof of concept where if they could put some malware on your computer, they can gain control of that little flashing light. And if they can gain control of that little flashing light, then they can make it blink in such a way that anybody watching it will get information from your computer. It's kind of like Morse code, let's say. 
though at a little faster rate than that. And so how might you look at this flashing light? Well, they thought, well, what if you have a drone and I can take a drone with a camera flying outside your window that can see your computer and see that little flashing light? They actually got that to work. So this, with this malware on the computer flashing that light in, in a purposeful way, they have a drone with a camera that watches that light and kind of like, you know, Morse code or the, the classic Navy signaling uh, system, they transmit information you know, through the air. What that really means is that even if your computer is not on the internet, uh, they could remotely get the information off your computer. But let's rewind this a second and get back to the very first point, the very first thing I said. They had to put malware on the computer in the first place to make this happen. This is not going to be, your, your computer is not knowingly divulging information by flashing that light. That flashing light is not giving out information that if somebody could, could watch and record that light, somehow gain access to the information on your computer. There's actually malware, um, bad software, software doing malicious things on your computer that they had to get on that computer in the first place to control that light. And yes, sure, if you can control that light, yeah, you could use that light to send out some sort of a signal that if somebody could see that signal, you could communicate with them. So while it's kind of cool, it's kind of, you know, James Bondish spy movie kind of a thing. You might think that, well, that, that that's clever. It is clever, but it's the most of the headlines. If you just read the headlines would lead you to believe that, oh my God, that little flashing light on my computer is now giving away all my secrets. So anyway, my point of telling you that story was that these are the kind of stories that we need to be careful of when we see these headlines that grab your attention and make you want to go read the story. Hopefully the story will get into the details and explain to you that it's really not a threat. This was actually just a proof of concept thing that these researchers did um, and explain to you why, why your computer's not tattling on you. So that's our news story for the day. So uh, let's get into my interview. Let's talk with uh, Chris Romeo. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. We invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com to get all the latest. Download our new apps and be part of the most informed audience in broadcast. Like a lot of people I know, I was struggling with that work-life balance. You know, working really long hours, trouble sleeping at night. Even my energy was low. Well, I knew something had to change when I found myself in the hospital. Well, then someone sent me a product called Healthy Cell Pro and told me to take it for 30 days. I figured, what do I got to lose? Three weeks into a one-month supply and, well, the results told me everything. More restful sleep, a shopper focus. I even had more energy, even for Malcolm Out Loud, that is. Nobel Prize nominee inventor, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. He explains it this way. It works by infusing your cells with over 60 plant-derived phytonutrients that target the building block of your body, which is the cell. But I liked it so much, I asked the company for a special deal for you. Instead of $110 plus shipping, you get it for just $79.99 for the monthly plan plus free shipping. Just go to HealthyCell.com, use the limited time offer code OUTLOUD. All right, everybody, uh, welcome my guest, Chris Romeo. He is the co-founder and CEO of Security Journey. Thanks for coming, Chris. Thanks for having me here. Glad to be here. You are my inaugural, uh, my inaugural guest on the podcast. I'm honored. <laughs> All right, well, as we said, we're going to be talking about phishing today. And 
This isn't the Andy Griffiths uh, walking down the road kind of fishing, unfortunately. Oh, wait, we're not going fishing? That's, <laughs> that's why I was here for a fishing trip. Uh, sorry, no, no, no. We're, we're doing fishing, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. So you're the security expert. Let's talk to me about that. What, what is phishing? Okay, so let's, uh, let's start by saying that phishing is an attack. It's a type of an attack that many people can suffer with, um, both individuals and big companies, small companies. It doesn't matter who you are. It's an attack that everybody probably has multiple instances of in your email inbox right now. <laughs> Hopefully, they're in your spam folder and not. Uh, but, but what we're talking about here is an email. So a bad person out there somewhere is going to create an email that is going to try to trick you and get you to do something that is going to be for their benefit. Okay. And whether that, that might be trying to get money, trying to, trying to get you to give up some, some information that allows them to steal money, or maybe getting something, embedding some software onto your computer that's going to allow them to get access to all your stuff. Yeah. So how long has this been a problem? When, when did this really start taking off? Um, probably as long as, almost as long as email's been around. I mean, yeah. this is a, a case of people seeing that they could take advantage of a new technology. So yeah, phishing's been around for decades at this point, but it's it's gotten worse and worse every year over the last 10 years or so as technology gets to more developed parts of the world, more potential cyber criminals are looking for ways to make a quick dollar. Yeah, actually, uh, in preparation for this, I, I went looking for some stats, and it, it just blew my mind. I, uh, there's actually an anti-phishing work group, which uh, sounds like part of maybe the IETF, uh, and they said that the phishing attacks were up 65% just last year. Uh, and from the statistics, I guess they've they've done since 2004, it's like something ridiculous, like almost 6,000% increase in the last you know 13 or 12 years, whatever that may be. Yeah, definitely, and that's that's consistent with what I've seen in the industry, both in working with in companies and what I know from individuals. Uh, I try to raise awareness on this issue at a lot of different levels, and I know that. High school kids get these phishing emails just like CEOs and other people. So this is not something that is is only at a particular segment. Everybody's going to get this type of stuff, and everybody's got to be ready and be aware. So let's walk, let's walk through a, a common scenario that that, that, that that an everyday person might run into, John Q. Public. So you, you, you get an email. It's from somebody that you, you know, maybe it's even from somebody uh, you know. I know that uh, because you've had your friends have their email, ta- uh, email accounts get hacked, what a great way to get someone to click on a link or open an attachment from you because it looks like it's from somebody you know, right? Yep. Uh, and these emails try to trick you into giving up maybe your credentials for, let's say, PayPal. That's a common one. I get that yep. all the time. There's something wrong with your PayPal account. How many times have you gotten an email that said, please click this link to rectify the situation, log in your account, and provide some sort of info. And of course, what that really is behind the scenes is uh, it's a fake PayPal website. And and you give them your login credentials, and now they've got access to your PayPal account. Yep. Yeah, I've seen that as well from an Amazon perspective. Let's pick something that's even PayPal. A lot of people use PayPal, but almost everybody uses Amazon <laughs> these days. And so one of the popular phishing emails that's going around now is it'll the subject line of the email will be, there's a problem with your Amazon shipment. So mm. we, we've all gotten those emails before. If you're an Amazon customer, you, you've, there's been something wrong with a shipment. And what these attackers do is they're, they've gotten a lot better than they used to be in the old days. They use Amazon logos. They actually look at actual Amazon emails and they copy the format and some of the text that goes into it. And then what they do is they put a link in there that goes to a website that they control 
which then may even also look like Amazon, where they'll ask you for some type of information. With the Amazon one, they were asking for name, address, and credit card information, hmm. which I'm going to stop right here and say, Amazon is never going to ask you for their your credit card information from anything that you click on in an email. Right. The only time they're going to ask for your credit card, all of these big companies that you deal with, they're never going to ask you for your credit card information other than through their site that you went to directly. That's right. And 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 the, the, the ironic thing is, is because these companies are trying to make it easier for us to, to, to recognize phishing attacks, it's sort of in a negative way by saying, we'll never do this, but how many people know that they're never going to do that? Yeah. They will try to, they try to educate you, but I mean, how do you know that this email is not from them? In the digital age, it's so easy to just to copy all the graphics and make a, a, a dummy website that looks just like the original. Yeah, and when I think about phishing, so when I think about how do we make people more aware of this, Remember the Nigerian prince oh, emails? Yeah. The classic. Nobody falls for that one anymore, right? And I was thinking about that earlier today. Why is that? And what we're talking about here is, um, and you still get these in spam now and again. It'll it'll be from somebody who says, "I'm the crown prince of some some country." Maybe you've heard of it or not. And it'll say, you know, what we've had this surplus in money, and I need to get this out of the country before some other military leader takes it over. Please send me your bank account information so I can transfer six million dollars or whatever to you, and you can hold it. And then when I get to America, you give me the difference or something, and I'll get. And, and so nobody falls for that anymore, though, right? right? I mean, most most people don't. And so we've gotten some awareness that 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 is too good to be true, and that's ultimately what I try to teach people is. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, right. which is just good advice for life in general. But even more, especially with an email, when you're looking at an email, if you're like, wow, that's promising me $10,000, nobody's really probably, what are the chances somebody's going right. to send you $10,000 for nothing, for no reason? Well, and I, and I think that the flip side of that is also true. If it sounds too bad to be true, question it, because I, I, the, what I tend to see more than anything is negative emails. Like, uh, I got actually a robocall from, supposedly from the IRS the other day that says there was, and by the way, it wasn't even a human talking. It was literally like Stephen Hawking, someone typing in text into a speech-to-text or text-to-speech program to read it back saying, there are serious problems. We found fraud. You need, you know, you owe us a lot of money. Uh, yep. You must call this number uh, to, to to rectify that, and and so they tend the ones that grab me and the ones that kind of make my heart stop. Like, ooh, is that is is that real? Are the ones that say there's a problem with your account, there's been fraud on your account. Um, we think that you may have done something illegal. Even uh, click here to to rectify that to clear up the situation. Yeah. So and and I I think of these in two different categories. There's the phishing emails that are reward-based, saying we're going to give you this, it's this awesome thing, this money, this free TV for a dollar or something. Then there's also the risk side, which is where I would describe the things that you're talking about here. And what they're doing, the attacker, these attackers are smart people. They're playing on your emotions because they're they're guessing that if I can get 1% of the people that hear that call to think, oh no, i got to contact this number for the IRS so I don't get uh, my house repossessed or whatever. People that have been around security for a long time, we just chuckle because we're like, there's no way that's true. Like, come get my, come take my house then. <laughs> but the, so that's that's kind of the risk side of this, though. And the, these attackers are good at, at tugging on our heartstrings. Um, and they use these type of techniques from a phishing perspective. Um, one, one thing I've seen that, uh, that, that small businesses 
uh, sometimes have to deal with, um, or maybe even medium-sized businesses, is uh, someone will send a phishing email to that business claiming to be from the person's manager, for example. Mm -hmm. And it'll say, I really need this now, and if not, it's going to really hurt your job performance and everything. And so the, per the person that receives that email feels threatened and they're like, oh, I got to do whatever this action is because the boss is, is saying that I have to do it, even right. though it's not the boss who's making the request. So the, the, the big takeaway here is these phishing criminal people, they're good at playing on our emotions and tugging on us. And we call that social engineering, right? Kevin Mitnick wrote the classic book on that. Uh, yep. What goes to the machine? Was that, was that the title? Um, uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the weak link in a lot of these security systems is us, yep. the humans. Because we can be, our, our emotions can be played upon positively and negatively to get us to do things. Um, there was a story, and I tried to look it up before we came here, uh, about the guy who had the Twitter handle that was taken. And the, and the handle was taken because of somebody doing a series of social engineering attacks through Apple and Twitter to get them to give him enough information to, to take over his email account and then take over the Twitter account. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, phishing. So... The idea there is they're, they're, they're like the classic go fish. You're, you're fishing for information for somebody that you want to use against them. And a point I wanted to bring up um, that I think is also important to realize is that so many of us use the same passwords over and over again. And, yes. and, and these guys are counting on that because not only if they get your PayPal password, if you're the kind of person that reuses that for your bank account, they, now they've got access to that too. What, how, how do you tell people to, uh, to avoid these kind of, to, that sort of a thing? Yeah, so I think if we could get everybody to enable two-factor authentication on their accounts, uh, we would be in such a good place. And what that means is when you have a password, that's just one way that you can identify yourself. But what, what a lot of banks and other types of applications, even Amazon, they're giving you the ability to enable this two-factor authentication thing. And really what that means is when you go to log in and you type in your password, Amazon's going to send you a text to a phone that you've registered as belonging to you. And that text is going to have a code in it that you can then type into Amazon to prove that not only do I know the password, that's the first factor, but the second factor is the phone that I have in my possession that's been validated as being some, a number that belongs to me that's associated with the account. And so that, I think, is, is the technical way that we can deal with uh, with, with people that are, we can we can shore up our defenses from the websites and applications and things. Size. The, the other thing is, we just have to make more people aware. Yeah. I mean, people just have to know. Like I said before, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And just take the a, a new idea of saying that I'm gonna instead of trusting people by default, I'm going to uh, not trust people by default. They're gonna have to prove to me that they are who they are. I give you an example of this. I keep my, my bank, my mortgage company keeps calling me on the phone because they want to talk about this. And the lady will, will say, hey, this is so-and-so from this mortgage. And I'm 90% sure that it's actually them. I refuse to speak to them because I said, how do I know? I said, how do I know that you're from the mortgage company? Well, sir, I told you. I'm, oh, oh, you told me. Oh, wow. I should just trust you then. So, um, so, so yeah, I mean, th this, this plays out, this human side of it plays out in everything that we do. And that brings up another interesting point. So it, and a lot of these kind of general mass uh, email attacks, which it's completely free. So to your point earlier, and this is the point I make in, in my book, is that if you've got this free resource where I could send out a million, 10 million emails a day, and I only get even a 0.1% hit rate on people clicking on that, that's huge. So it, it's, it's no cost to them, and, and the, the, the potential upside for these people is, is 
is amazing. If it was only 1%, though. So let me give you this stat that I saw that, that I brought specifically for this interview. So Verizon's data breach report that mm-hmm. they put out for 2016. So different security awareness companies have tools that allow you to test people's response to phishing. And so what they did for purposes of this report is they got a couple of those companies to report their their information. They did on, on 8 million phishing tests. So they, they sent 8 million emails out to try and get people to click on them. They had a 30% open rate oh my God. on these emails and a 12% click rate. <laughs> so your 1% just went up a whole order of magnitude now. Oh, my God. So that just tells you what that this human problem actually looks like that we're dealing with. If I can get... So your 1% is like a bad day, right? I mean, a good day in this world is I get 15, 20% of people to click on this. I'd like to see that email. <laughs> that must be pretty clever. Well, no, it's a whole bunch of different ones. Oh, I see. Yeah, so, so it's just this, random So this set. is like a, so they, this is based on their 8 million sample size. Did they or, take like, do they take uh, emails that they had seen down the wild and just reproduce them or do they make up their own? No, they make up their own. So they, it'll be, there's, there's different categories you can do like, uh, the like best like good deals like you can buy this Vizio TV for $19.95 just we only have a hundred of them click uh-huh. here on this link so they, it's not necessarily all the same email but it's it's some different principles of, of attacking different pieces of the human element here. Well, I'm sure that would be very interesting to track over time as to what sorts of emails uh, get the most clicks and get the most opens, which are, which are the most effective. I guess they probably wouldn't want, they might not want to release that because that might be good information for the hackers. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the cyber criminals already have that data. The problem is they just don't go to conferences and talk about the stuff or they don't do interviews. Um, at least not with their real names and voices. <laughs> I assume you're Chris Romeo. <laughs> That's right. I have, well, I have his driver's license. So. <laughs> so there, there are flavors of fishing, so to speak. Uh, and we, uh, what I was kind of getting to earlier, with the mass market ones are usually kind of generic. They won't mention you by name because they don't. They're, these, they're, they're sending the same email to millions of people. Yep. So it's dear PayPal user, dear Amazon customer, and, uh, and that's one tell for you. Yes. Right? When you're looking at an email and trying to figure out. Is this potentially a fish? If it's generic, if the greetings and things are generic, that should be kind of a plus one in your mind that this is where this is already starting to smell like a fishing email. Or minus one, as the case may be. Yeah, or minus one. <laughs> uh, so the the next kind is uh, spear phishing. Tell us okay. tell us how that's different. So spear phishing. So like you said, phishing in general is going to be where I target. I just send one email out to a million people, hoping to get that ten percent hit rate that we talked about. With spear phishing, I'm actually going to target one particular person. Because if you think about in a small or medium-sized company, who has the most access within that company? Is it the owner of the company or is it the sysadmin? Probably the sysadmin. The sysadmin probably has access to everything that they do. Yep. So what I'm going to do is to, to generate a spear phishing email, I'm going to study that person. Because we have these things called LinkedIn. Yes. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. We have this current age where we put everything about ourselves out on the internet. Mm. So I can I can begin to write, doing a little investigation of the sysadmin. I can figure out what their interests are. I can look and and just do Google searches for them and say, oh well, look, well this person happens to spend time in motorcycle um, forums, sharing information and talking about how much they love their motorcycle. What's a topic I could potentially use to fish somebody that I find? looking in, posting in motorcycle forums. So spear phishing is how do I direct, how do I target one person or even a small group of people versus just throwing it broadly across the board? 
Right, and in that case, so you're looking at some, so for some reason, this company or this person has got access to something that is valuable. So either it's information you wanna you want to get entree into their system so you can exfiltrate, pull out yep. uh, some interesting information, maybe hold that information for ransom, uh, or ransomware, uh, which is, uh, I've, I've seen statistics and I don't have them handy, where ransomware is now going hand in hand with these phishing attacks, where it's not so much the emails to get your information, it's it's the emails to trick you into either going to a website with that might have a drive-by download or some sort of attachment that will uh, infect your computer with, and then uh, uh, infect you with this ransomware. Uh, you're familiar with the ransomware, I'm sure. Why don't oh, yeah. you tell us a little bit about how that how this combo works? So one of the one of the biggest ransomware programs that we've been hit with, and it's kind of it's it's crypto this idea of crypto locker, and the idea here. Let's go back and say, how does malware, this, this malicious software talking about, how does it get to your computer? Well, we've talked about using phishing as a way to attack. And sometimes that link may take you to a fake website where, you, where I try to get you to type in your, your good username and password. But other times it may just download something that executes onto your computer. That's what we call malware or malicious software. And the idea is if I can get a program to run on your computer and then phone home and, and talk back to my computer and give me information, then I've got a lot of, I can do a lot more. I can steal information from your computer. I can use your computer to attack other people's computers. Lots of things I can do. Now, the idea with this ransomware thing, this is malicious software that I, that I will get you to click on the link, install on your computer. And what ransomware does is, kind of the, the historic definition of it here, is it'll go through and use encryption to lock all your files so you can't get into them. And it'll it'll keep track of the password. It'll it knows what the password is. This is this is software that's being created by really really good software developers. This isn't some kid in a dorm room somewhere who's got this dream and is is crafting. This is these cyber criminal folks have development teams and testing teams and program managers and all the things that big <laughs> tech companies have. Uh, but the idea with the ransomware is this software runs. It locks your files out. You can't get it. And then they send you a message on your computer saying. Uh, we own all of your files. If you'd like to get those files back, please pay us 0.01 bitcoins or $100 or $300, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I actually talked about this a little bit in the first episode because it, it, it just fascinates me. Uh, because, And the analogy I use is the criminals have broken into your house and instead of stealing your valuables, they put them all in a safe in your living room, <laughs> right? They, yeah. they put and then and then they leave you a note saying, if you want the combination to the safe, you know, pay me so much money. So they didn't actually take anything. You actually have possession. You just can't get to it. And I and I just find that fascinating. And it's 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 one of the areas where encryption can be used. It's a tool like anything else. Uh, can be used for nefarious purposes. We we have to have it. It's it's important that we protect it and make sure that it's as strong as we can with no back doors. But this is a scenario where it could be used uh, for bad things. Yeah, definitely, definitely seen it used for uh, for bad things. And some of the early versions of ransomware, I always get a chuckle about this. They actually would write the 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 password to unlock the files on the local file system. So you had the password yes. the whole time on your computer. You just didn't know where to find it. Now the the later versions and later releases have become much more uh, much more intelligent now. So they take the the key or the password to unlock your files and they put it in a cloud service somewhere. So it's not locally accessible. But I always got a kick out of that. Like that was um, that was a lot of people were falling for that and paying, even though the after they paid, the person would say, "Okay, look in this file on your computer <laughs> to get the key to unlock your stuff." Click, click your slippers three times. You had the power all along. Yep. 
I don't know if you heard the story, but this one blows my mind too. There was apparently some uh, some hackers who were putting together some ransomware, and they screwed it up. So, so they so they they locked all your files, and then they they actually couldn't unlock them. So, which is actually bad, right? Because they want a reputation of being able to give you your your key and get your files back. Or who's going to pay them if they if you know if it turns out you can't get your files back? But here's the twist: they went to Kaspersky and said. We are hackers. We have written bad software. We want to fix the software. Would you help us fix our software so that we can at least give people their files back? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> to my understanding, Kaspersky said no. But uh, <laughs> that's good. Wow, what a what a twist well, that I mean, is. These 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 organizations have help desks that are associated. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That are associated with. Like if you try to pay the ransom and you have some type of problem, <laughs> you can actually call and speak to a live professional. Who oh will, my like, God! Will walk you through the process of of pay, making the payment and decrypting. So I mean, this is this is big business now. Oh my gosh! Well, and you made the point that it, it, there certainly there, there had to be an original person who wrote this who really knew what they were doing. But then a lot of these things get turned out for free. Uh, on GitHub, and, and which is a, uh, a website where you can publicly download software projects that, that are open source where you can actually download it. And they make these things available to you. And now it, it does take what we call script kiddies, right? These are, the, yeah. these are the kids that don't have, they know just enough to be dangerous, but there's so much on the web they can download. Like remember the old anarchist cookbook back in yep. the day that was such, you know, that caused such a stir. But it's, it's, it's kind of the digital ages version of the anarchist cookbook where you can go out on the internet and find these things. And with well, someone blazed the trail for you, but once that's blazed, a lot of people can pick these things up and run with them, and just anybody could do it. Yeah, and I find that the the, the real innovative stuff ex- really exists in the underground, though. So the the stuff that's cutting edge and new is for sale. There's a whole there's a whole ecosystem of companies that sell ransomware to people who want to deploy it and do the phishing. So I mean, if you ever get a chance to dive deeply into this into this cyber underground, it's fascinating how there's all these different like there's almost like wholesalers. Like you think like when you buy something at the local store, that thing went from the manufacturer to a wholesaler's warehouse to get shipped to the store. There's all those levels that exist in malware and ransomware. There's the wholesalers that do the development and then sell the the software to those who actually try to distribute it onto other people's computers. Now, is that what they refer to as the dark web? Yeah, so that's that, that's a one way that it's that that um, and in the dark web, there's lots of nefarious things. Malware is just a tiny percentage of the bad stuff that's actually happening. Um, there, there's lots of different uh, sites that kind of traffic in these things, but it's not it's not as easy as something where you can just jump in and and they, they don't welcome outsiders well <laughs> in these communities. You have to have people that vouch for you to really get into. The, the places where the real innovative stuff is available and for sale. That must that would be an amazing documentary. I'd love to know how that some of that sort of thing happens. It, but I guess a lot of it must be word of mouth and trust networks and things like that that get you in. Well, these guys have been on IRC, the Internet Relay Chat, which was, I guess, the slack of the <laughs> 90s and, and before. Um, but they a lot of these guys have known each other for a long time. A lot of these people, I should say, it's not just guys, but a lot of these people have known each other for a long time and can vouch for each other as far as what uh, what they have available. All right, so we've talked about what the problem is. We've hopefully explained it in a way that makes sense, and I, I can't imagine that some of you have not already seen some of these emails that we're talking about, so you know where we're coming from. So let's talk a little bit about remedies. Let's talk about, firstly, at a personal level, for, for 
Joku Public, Jockey Public is out there. What kind of recommendations do you have for ways to protect yourself from these things? We've talked about a few, but let's let's dig in a little bit deeper and and give me some top uh, three or four things that we could do. Yeah, so I think I, I think knowledge is really the biggest thing here. I think that these these are the, the the information, the emails that we're receiving. We just have to get to a point where people realize that there's bad people out there on the internet that are trying to attack them and either get their credentials or get get the malware loaded. I think it's it's really a this is really a people problem. There there is I mean you have different technology solutions that can do spam filtering and it's hard to find an email account that you get from somebody that doesn't do pretty high end spam filtering and even some phishing filtering now. A lot of the phishing emails that people are trying to send to you, for example, Google, if you have a Gmail account, they're picking those off. Google's been really good. Yahoo, I found, is not so good. No, I think, I mean, (laughs) I think Yahoo in the last, I mean, they've had three breaches in the last year. If you still have a yahoo.com email account, I'd recommend (laughs) moving off that and uh, moving into something that's a little more, has been proven to be a little better. You know, actually, and I've got a newsletter that I that that I put out every week too. And one of the newsletters I was like, well, the second to last breach. Actually, I think I did it for both and said it's time to move away from Yahoo. But I uh, I heard on a security um, uh, show that I that I watch an interesting point about that is don't delete your account because then they will recycle your account. Yeah. So you actually want to retain ownership of your account. So don't you don't necessarily want to close the account, but stop using it. Download all your email using a, a local mail application. Delete it from the server. Delete it online, and so you still have your, the, the the emails that, that you keep that you might want to refer back to, but they're not online where somebody could get into them and hack them and use them against you in some way, uh, like for identity theft. If they can fish through all your everything you've ever bought because all of your Amazon purchase things goes there, they, they or and some of your bank emails, they may be able to convince somebody that they're you by looking through that. So yeah. download them, but don't don't give up your account. Just don't use it. Yeah, that's and that's good advice. I still have one from the '90s. I do too. It's still open and running there. So another thing that we can do to help make people aware of this, and this is really more for a probably a small the mom and pops out there even, but there there are some different solutions where you can actually test people on the fishing side. Hmm. So there's a tool called GoFish, for example, that <laughs> is and it's kind of a funny funny name. Um, you mentioned GitHub earlier. That's actually you can find it out on GitHub, but it's an open source product that attempts to provide the same functionality that a lot of the big companies are providing as a service now. So for enterprises, you have all these different solutions where people will send you those phishing emails. The ones I talked about that were the stats for the Verizon report. That's a little harder for smaller companies, but there are there are other solutions um, that you can use to try and um, test your your audience, if you, even if you don't have a lot of budget um, to, to expend. All right, so education. Obviously, that's a big one. What, what else can we do? Um, so, I mean, there's the antivirus. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I've been running Mac for 10 years at this point, maybe a little less than 10 years, but I don't use antivirus anymore, um, at least not on the Mac side. Now, on the Windows side, I can still see, and Microsoft's done a really good job. So I don't even know in Windows 10 if you can turn off the antivirus. I think it comes turned on by default, but you could still, it's still something people should check. And that's Defender, I think, in the latest one. It used to be called uh, Microsoft Security Essentials, which I think yeah. you had to download, but Windows Defender is built in now, I think. I think it's built in. I believe with Windows 10, if I remember correctly, it's turned on by default. But still, so that's still something to check. Make sure your Windows 10 is running the Windows Defender style technology, and it's also updating. Because the other thing with this malware stuff is there's new malware created every day. Yeah. And 
you can't use if you only if you only if your software only knows about the the things that were popular last year and before then you're already going to miss out a lot of stuff and and the idea with with that and and you can use that type of technology for mac as well um I guess the reason I don't use it is because I've been doing this a long time. And, yeah. um, but I will say that an, a company I used to work for used to try to fish people, and I always knew it was a phishing. One time, they almost got me to click on it. Mm. It was a TV offer around Christmas time. I was looking to get a new TV at that point, and they didn't know that, but they play <laughs> the odds that it's Christmas time. Right. So, so even me as a 20-year security veteran almost clicked on it and granted it would have been an internal test so it would have just embarrassed me inside the company <laughs> not i wouldn't have lost any money in the deal but um so for for just for the folks that are out there um consider what what is your antivirus anti-malware solution if you're not somebody who really lives and breathes this stuff then look for some type of a uh, antivirus and malware solution that's not going to stop you from clicking on stuff but hopefully it'll know about the, some software that's trying to illicitly load itself when you make the click, and it can hopefully block it and, and protect you. Yeah, I think the advice I tend to give people on it, because that's a common question, uh, you know, people will always ask me about what's the best antivirus software. And back in the day, I think it was it was very useful and and necessary uh, software to keep on your computer. I agree with you that today it's become less so, partially because things are changing so rapidly that it's really hard for these guys to keep up. Now, a lot of these antivirus software programs are actually trying to use heuristics and things to look for, you know, suspicious behavior, not just looking for cookie cutter. Yes, I've seen that before and it's bad. So there is a little bit of that and I think that can be valuable. But um, what I usually recommend to people is Certainly on Windows, use the free stuff that's that's provided by Microsoft. It's it's very good. It's free. It's it's made by Microsoft. It's going to have really good integration with the operating system. I, I think that's for Windows users. That's the best way to go. For Mac, I, I also kind of agree that I, uh, I don't generally use it uh, very often. I but when I do, I would recommend people go with something that's good and free. Don't don't get into uh, some of these subscription services because a lot of times. I don't think I just don't think it's worth it. It's not worth paying for. If you can find a, a decent product, uh, sometimes I've recommended Sophos. Uh, sometimes I've recommended Avira. That's free. That does a pretty good job. I th I, I think it's okay if it makes you feel better to have those kind of things. Uh, yeah. On your computer. And um, so another piece of advice I've heard that, that I believe in. Um, what a lot of people that I that, that I know that are really sensitive about this thing, this type of a concern or this type of an attack, they'll use a set. They'll, they'll use one browser for their banking. Mm -hmm. I know some people that use separate computers for their banking, <laughs> but I don't, you know, the, the average person, I don't have a separate computer just to right. do my banking. Now, if I was doing million-dollar transfers and, and things like that, then I probably would have a separate infrastructure that I would do my banking from. But one thing you can do easily on any laptop is you probably already have more than one browser. Like, I don't use Safari, for example. I use, right. I'm a Chrome, I've liked Chrome, I use Firefox. And I use Firefox mostly, I use yeah. Brave, I use, and there's, you know, there's lots of different yes. browsers out there. But what you can do is you can say, you know what, I'm only ever going to use Safari to log into my bank's web, my bank's website. And so, but you want to make sure that's not your default browser, right? So you want to make sure that your, 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 your everyday browser might be Chrome and you only use Safari to log into your banking. So that way, if you click on a link and it goes to open something, um, someplace you might have credentials or whatever else would be in a separate kind of isolated browser. 
All right, yeah, I, I, you're right. I've heard that. I've heard that as well. Um, I also use a password manager. Some of these schemes like to generate or like to take you to websites, and maybe this is not quite as popular anymore. But where the the URL looks like a valid one, but it's something close. Like the classic one was Twitter spelled T V V I T T E R yep. instead of T W, because the two V's look like if you just take a quick glance, it looks like T W. Um, but if you're using like LastPass, which happens to be my favorite, uh, but there are others, 1Password and, and, and others, if you're using that and you go to a website that's not the right website, it will not pre-fill your data yep. because it can see that the URL is actually wrong. Yep. Yeah, and I, I, use a, uh, I use a different one called MPass. Um, the reason I like that is it's not cloud-based. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I, I've used LastPass for a while, and um, then I decided to, I just started to work with MPass because it does have, it, it does work across multiple devices, but it doesn't use their cloud-based storage. It uses your existing storage to pass the encrypted stuff back and forth. So like Dropbox, or you actually have a physical, like a USB key that you can uh, it, it, it uses Dropbox and, and Google Drive and places like that to sync. But I don't know, I just, I just, the thought of, all of that information being isolated. I mean, LastPass must have, they must be, I mean, everybody's attacked on the internet, but they must be, because imagine yes. what you could get. Oh, if yes. you could get into the LastPass and access everyone's credentials that uses LastPass. I mean, it's a, it's a hacker's dream come true. It is. And I, I could probably do a whole episode, and I probably will do at some point on that. Uh, the, the thing to note about LastPass is if, if they're doing it correctly, and that is, that is always the big if when it comes with any sort of computer system. The the underlying technology and the math are sound. If yep. if you do it properly, these things are are really impenetrable. But it just takes one mistake for you to screw the whole thing up and and, and allow someone else to get into it. But LastPass and I'm sure most of the rest of these do all the encryption locally. So the only thing that should ever leave your computer and go into the cloud is this amorphous blob of digital mess that no one short of having 100 years on supercomputers will be able to crack. So we hope they do it that way. The, the, the real proof is in the pudding, however, because if they screw one thing up, then you're still yeah. vulnerable. Yeah, and I, and I don't have any um, knowledge of any type of problem that they've, they've yeah. had or anything like that. It's just, for me, it's a risk management decision. Having been in the world of security for 20 years, something about it just makes me a little bit nervous, but I have a lot less risk tolerance than do you, a lot of people. Do you feel because you're in the industry that you may be more of a target than an average Joe? Um, yeah, I, I do. I think I think that is true uh, because I do get a chance to speak a lot of different events and do interviews and things. And um, I'm sure I've said probably something on this in this interview <laughs> that would, would be seen as a, uh, you know, not even a challenge, but, you know, just something that's, that's kind of, you know, going to get some, some fuel for the flames, I guess. But um, yeah, so I think I think that that is. Um, I mean, you know, you think of um, you know LifeLock, right? The yes, company, oh LifeLock, yeah. They'd always the the, the CEO um, would always put his social security number as part of the advertisements. <laughs> like he got he got his identity stolen. Like ten. <laughs> like I remember seeing the story. It was three or four times at that point. But. Um, so he was a target because he was baiting them. Oh sure, he was going, ah, come and get me. Here's my social number. He I mean they put it on the on the website, his social security <laughs> number, and so people found ways to get around the LifeLock service. But so I don't think it's good. You know, I don't think we need to antagonize them. But yeah, right. I'm about how do we how do we teach people the right stuff that so that the average person out there doesn't become a victim. Exactly. All right. One of the other things we mentioned uh, was two-factor authentication. Uh, and that is a, another great way. Uh, in, in, in security, we, we, we tend to say that authentication is something you have, something you know, or something you are. 
and so passwords are always the thing that we know, and that's one factor. So the two-factor part of this makes it it's defense in depth. It makes them have to go one more step and have to have one more uh, lever into your life, so one more crowbar yep. to figure out something out. So uh, we talked about that a little bit, but just real quick, uh, talk about that one more time. How, how do people set up two-factor authentication? So with, with a provider, if you're using like Amazon or Gmail or something that's web service-based, there's going to be a configuration option inside of their settings that has authentication or two-factor authentication, or maybe it's under a security tab or something. But what you're going to see under there is there's going to be like some type of a slider where you can select, you can basically turn on this idea of two-factor authentication. Now what they're going to do, most of these companies are using your mobile phone because that's something that you have that fits into that, that's something that I have in my possession. And so what they're going to do is they're going to, you're going to put in the phone number if they don't already have your mobile number. They're going to send you a text just to verify that you in fact do have that phone in front of you. Because the worst type of attack would be if somebody actually already had stolen my phone and was trying to trying to do something with it. So, um, so, that, so then what happens after I get the phone dialed in and, and, and set up so that when I go to, off, to log into Amazon, for example, it's going to automatically send my phone or a, uh, a, a, a second piece of information. So when I go to Amazon, I put in my username and my password, just like normal. I hit log in. And then it's going to bring up another box that's going to ask me, okay, so what is the, what, what's the, the number that we just texted to you? And I'll look at my phone and say, okay, here's that, type in that number. And then so now what's happened is I've authenticated with my password that I knew and then with my phone, something that I had. Yep. And so I actually, there's actually some other solutions as well that you can use to, um, to do with other things. Like I, there's a company called Duo, D-U-O, that has a, um, a mobile app that does the same type of thing, but it all does it, it, does it in the app. So some of my websites that I have will, um, when, I, when I log in, it just will automatically take me to a Duo screen because I use a plugin, and that plugin will, will say, um, will, will say what is, what's the number you see on your phone right now? Is that the same as Google Authenticator? It's the same basic technology? Or yeah, is it I think different? it's the same basic technology. I don't know if Google Authenticator has an actual app, though. Is they there, do. Is I, it an app? Okay. I use it. In fact, LastPass has one, too. I, so I've seen a lot of the uh, services use Google Authenticator, and it's slightly different. And the, the way you usually set that up is you'll go to the website, you'll go through the same kind of security tab under your profile. You say, I want to enable two-factor authentication. Often they'll even give you the choice, a text, which is something they figure everyone has. Uh, but if you have this Authenticator app, it'll pop up a QR code, which is those kind of goofy looking two-dimensional UPC codes, right? Yep. Uh, and then you take your phone app, this Authenticator app, and you scan that code, and now you're synced up. Uh, it's the same kind of concept, it's just with an app instead of a text a text message. Uh, the only advantage I can think of is that there have been attacks on the SS7 network, which is the, the cellular network, the telephone network, where... You know, if the Russian mob or the CIA or someone is trying to get you, they might have access to that kind of thing. I'm perfectly fine with text messaging for average everyday people for two-factor authentication. Though. Yeah, I mean, and ultimately, that's one of the things we always have to consider. Like, what is the total risk that's yeah. involved there? For the average person that's listening to this interview right now, if you have less, you probably have less than $5 million, right, <laughs> in your... I mean, I hope you have more than that. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, that'd more be great. More power to you, yeah. More power to you, but, but most of us... We have to we have to treat security like we are a giant target, but in reality, a lot of times we're not we're not we're not that that big of a target. So by doing some things like two factor authentication, all we're doing is making it harder so that the cyber criminal will move on to somebody who's easier to attack. 
That's right. And yeah, you don't you don't have to be the fastest antelope. You just don't want to be the slowest. And that's yeah. why so many of the security things, you just put the little sign in your yard. Whether you actually have CFI security <laughs> or not, just putting the sign in the yard yeah. will often make the guy move to the next house. You don't, you don't exactly. have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than your friend. <laughs> that's right. That's the other He's way of putting it. next that. to you. Yep. All right. So... One more, one more thing that we can cover before we go, uh, and this has been a fantastic uh, interview. Thank you. Is I want to give people more than just what can you do personally for yourself. What, how would you, if you wanted to uh, get involved or get uh, more educated or spread the word, do something a little bigger than yourself, uh, maybe uh, call your congressman, this sort of thing. Can you think of anything that we might want to do above and beyond just your personal security? Because this is really important for all of us. It's not just, it, it's well and good to do it for yourself and perhaps for your family, but I, mm-hmm. I'm firmly believing that we need to do more than that. If you wanted to go beyond, what, what might you suggest? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay away from the government because I don't think the government's really <laughs> the solution to, to this type of a problem. Here's, what, here's how I would challenge everybody that's listening to this interview right now. Contact, learn a little bit about fishing, learn a little bit about the, the ways that you can help people not, you know, not click on links and email and kind of understand what this problem is, and then ask your kid's school. Can I come and do a quick 30-minute, 20-minute, you know, for little kids it's not going to be as big of a deal, but for, for older kids. Um, so I'm, a, uh, I'm certified as a CISSP and CSSLP. Which is is the (laughs) certified information security professional and life cycle professional. Okay. And the one of the things that this the organization ISC Squared does is they have this program called ISC Squared. um, It's like a school online kind of um, safety thing, and so they actually provide a set of slides that somebody could even use if you wanted it. Safe and secure online is what the program's called. A set of slides that you could actually use as a basis, but you don't even necessarily have to go into something that complicated. The point is that. A lot of young people have no idea what the overall risks are here. And this can cover things like fishing and, and just preparing people, kids to know they're going to be attacked. But then there's also the whole privacy thing that we should be oh, yes. we should be teaching our kids about. The fact that when you Snapchat between yourself and one other person, that's not necessarily protected and, and stored Absolutely. in a way. So I would challenge all, all the listeners here, find a group of people that need this type of information and go and learn enough about it to not, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to spend 20 years doing this to be able to be qualified to talk about it. Find a message that you can share to help educate. The senior citizen, we didn't even talk about the senior citizen population. The senior citizen population is a huge part of the attack of, of who these guys are going after, these cyber yeah. criminals, because they're not, they didn't grow up with technology. They're not savvy. They're not as savvy. They can be tricked into doing things. So you can go. So you could go do something for your kid's school. Go do something for um, a fifty-five and old, like a retirement um, type of group or something in the in the, a civic type of group in your area. But the point is, go educate some people about this. Take what we taught you today and find some other people to to empower with this information. Absolutely, I hundred percent agree, and that's one of the one of my goals of this podcast and, and the book was to disseminate as much of this knowledge as possible. I think people just give up; they think, "Oh, I can't possibly understand it." There's all this jargon. I I, I just give up, throw my hands up. There's really there's a lot that we can all be doing to protect ourselves, and and that's kind of the point of this. And once you learn that knowledge for yourself, absolutely agree. Spread it as far as you can. Get others in. The more people you can quote unquote vaccinate, and I almost hate to use the term because it's become you know so overloaded with the you know, autism thing. But if we take it in its purest form, vaccination, the more you the more people you protect, the the the, the fewer these uh, things can spread. 
So before we go, I would like to give you an opportunity. Tell me, tell me what your company does in this regard. What, if, if I were coming to uh, uh, Secret Journey, what, what could you provide that might help me in this regard? Okay, so at Security Journey, really, our focus is on the education piece. Um, we certainly realize that the human beings are, are where we need to put our focus. So what we do right now is we help uh, small companies all the way up to large enterprises to create a culture of security inside their organization. So we help them to build training programs and communities and connection points for as a place where the different people that work inside that company can all get behind this idea of being serious about security. Because there's a whole other realm of security. Today we were just focused in on kind of the individuals and the, and the attacks coming via email. There's a whole other universe of attacks Absolutely. that an, an average enterprise company has to deal with on a weekly basis. So we're all about how do we help change security culture, both for individuals doing things like we're talking about right here from a security awareness perspective, and also how do we change enterprises so that we end up with better products and web services and things that we all use that are more secure. And I love the I love the way you uh, the structure of the program. It's based on a belt system, yeah. sort of like the uh, martial arts belt system. So you start with your white belt, you go to your yellow belt, and you work your way up to the coveted black belt. Yep. Uh, so uh, I, I love analogies. So that works really well for me. Yep. All right, uh, Chris, this has been fantastic. I'm so glad you came by. It's wonderful. You made a great first guest. Uh, thank you very much for coming, and uh, good luck in the future. Thank you for having me. All right. And that, my friends, brings us to the end of another episode of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I really want to thank Chris Romeo for coming on the show today. He had some fantastic information for us. Uh, We covered fishing today, and hopefully now you can understand a little bit more about what that means, uh, the different types of ways that these hackers are trying to get your information or trying to get you to do things that you shouldn't be doing. And uh, we've given you some, some tips on how to protect yourself. That really is the goal of this podcast. I want to bring guests on with topics in mind, and we will cover these important security and privacy topics in a way that you can understand, hopefully in a way that's entertaining as well, so that you can listen along and understand not just the nuts and bolts of, okay, don't click on links from somebody, but why is that? I always find that it's better to understand at least some of the why, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about technical stuff, just the parts that we think you need to know, and talk about them in a way that should be understandable by just about anybody. And with that, I'd like to mention my uh, book to you, because while I can talk to you about these subjects on the radio, the book can actually show you pictures. Uh, in my book of the same name, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, I go through well over 100 different tips that you can use to make yourself more secure and to guard your privacy. And the nice thing is with the book is I actually go through step-by-step with pictures of what you should be seeing on your screen. And this covers both Windows and Macintosh. Also a section on mobile phones. So we talk about Android and iOS as well. Uh, iOS being, of course, iPhones and iPads. And it walks you through step-by-step so that you know exactly what you need to do and you can you see what you're supposed to be seeing on the screen. And it's just like I was sitting right next to you, walking you through step-by-step, step, telling you exactly what you have to do. My book is available, of course, on Amazon.com. Uh, you can also find links to the book by going to my website. I encourage you to go there as well, firewallsdontstopdragons.com. On the website, you can find links to Amazon for the book. You can also read my blog, which I post every so often. And more importantly, you can find my free security tips and sign up for my weekly newsletter. Uh, Once a week on Sunday nights, I send out a a very short and sweet tip, uh, often based on things that are currently happening. Of course, we'll talk about some of those here 
uh, on the podcast. The advantage of the newsletter is that a lot of times I will send multiple links if you want to go uh, research things a little bit further. If I've got some funny stories that I want to point you to or interesting stories, uh, oftentimes I will have kind of a bullet list of things that you might want to do, and then I'll have links uh, that point you to websites that walk you through the steps uh, because that would make the the newsletter a little bit too long. I try to keep it very short and to the point. So you can get exactly what you need. And if you want to go further, you can go further. And that's going to wrap it up this week, folks. Remember, send me your emails at Parker at americaoutloud.com. Uh, I will answer your questions at the end of every show. And uh, I'm open to ideas for the show. Give me your feedback. If you happen to know of somebody who would make a great guest on the show, please send me their information as well. And I want to bring to you as much great info and content in a fun way as possible. We will get through this together, folks. I will see you again next week on Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons.